Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Boys, there are a lot to talk about today. Everything from St. Valentine's Day coming up. That's Single National Awareness Day. If you didn't know, if you do know, you really know. I get it. I've been there. Uh, We're going to talk about being single on St. Valentine's Day. Should women start proposing? Should women ask men out? All 21st century questions that nobody had time for dealing with 50 plus years ago. Also, we'll be talking about the controversy. Did you hear that the man who calls himself Leah Thomas actually exposed himself, his genitalia, to women in the locker room uh, when he was competing as a swimmer uh, for Pennsylvania University of Pennsylvania. And this is just absolutely ridiculous. He's basically forcing women to be objects of porn in them seeing him and he looking at them in the locker rooms. And it's unbelievable. If you have a thought on this, go comment on my social media. I've thrown it up on my Facebook and Instagram story. And you know, the whole transgender movement is actually imploding in on itself. People from the transgender movement who are pro-LGBTQ are actually talking out against what much of what's happening. In fact, people even within the medical world who are pro-transgender are saying there's a problem with what's happening, uh, especially with so-called therapies such as cross-sex hormones and so-called therapeutic surgeries such as castration, among other things, and absolute mutilation. So we'll talk about that. And tomorrow's the feast day of Our Lady of Lords, so we'll talk about taking Mary into our home. Devin Shatt will join me later, as, li- as well as celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda here on Trending. So if you have a question, one 9149 is that number to call. And by the way, if you're just joining us, um, all week we have been raising funds to continue to do the work we're doing here at Relevant Radio. We needed to raise $3 million, and praise the Lord, thanks to you, and God being always faithful to us was what we asked. We raised it, but it's not too late if you still want to make a tax-deductible donation. You can do that. Every penny counts. Uh, We're working toward buying new radio stations, and this $3 million really just helps to cover our operating costs, not necessarily to actually work toward growing and expanding our work. Uh, So give us a call if you'd like to donate, 1-877-291-0123, but even easier, it takes just a minute, relevantradio.com. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to buy something on Amazon? It's almost just as easy with autofill to do that and make your donation uh, to Relevant Radio today online, relevantradio.com, or tap the banner on the app if you are listening on our Relevant Radio app. 
Thank you so much for supporting our work here at Relevant Radio and the work that we do uh, every day here on Trending. Our team, we're so grateful, and I'm humbled by all of you who have stepped up, shared your stories, why you're donating, and you know, make a donation in honor of a family member, especially you're praying for, make that little sacrifice. Uh, please join me in praying for an end to abortion and in thanksgiving for our pledge drive and the growth and work we do here at Relevant Radio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We pray the memoire. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And just a reminder, every dollar, every penny that you donate today to Relevant Radio, it is a match. We still have a generous donor who said whatever is given still past having met our goal. Um, we will match that. So if you give $100 today, another donor will step up and give $100 uh, honoring your faith and commitment and sacrifice today. As you know, I'm back. I'm live here on Trending. Uh, again, I had my second daughter, and we are in newborn land, upside down land. Uh, the great news is, for the first time since she was born, my daughter slept seven and a half hours straight last night. And, you know, I did stay up a little after she went to sleep, probably about 40 minutes or so. Important things such as bathing um, had to occur. Uh, but then, you know what happened? She woke up at about 430 and right when she woke up, let's just say my potty training two-year-old, who's done awesome, like she's potty trained, but you know, we're still working out some kinks. First middle of the night accident, and we've been up since 4.30. It's been fun. It's been real fun. You know, my husband's one of those people who by choice wakes up at four o'clock. I still don't quite get that, but I do get it, and I really appreciate his sacrifice uh, that he makes for our family so he can get all those important things in, but I, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm done. So the upside, you win some, you lose some. Baby slept seven and a half hours when she's only six weeks, you lose some. Potty trainer um, really had an epic fail in the middle of the night, but don't tell her I said that. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda, always diving into to relevant topics in the celebrity world, especially everyday life and examples we can dive into uh, as she matchmakes us lowly peasants as well. She has some marriage advice she wants to talk about that comes from The Bachelor. Now, whether you watch A Bachelor or Bachelorette, I do not. I am happy to say I've never, I think, even completely watched an episode before, but it is interesting to see the failure and success stories. And one of the few, if not only, success story we really have from Bachelor Nation is Trista and Ryan, and we're looking at about 20 years ago this match was made. So, Christina, dive in. Tell us a little more about this. Hi, Timri. So good to be with you, and so fun to hear your baby stories. <laughs> we're dealing with our own here, too. So, Congratulations, yes. by the way, to Christina. For those who don't know, she literally just had a baby Sunday, and she texted me and said, I have my baby, but I'll talk to you Friday. And I was like, Hold up, girl. <laughs> yeah, I think this happened last time, too. So we're just, this is just as per normal. <laughs> yes, but things are going well. And I'm excited to talk about this story of Trista and Ryan because I remember watching their wedding when I was young. And I watched the, a lot of many seasons of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette when I was young. I do not watch it anymore. 
But one of those iconic weddings that was filmed was Trista and Ryan and their beautiful love story that was showcased for the whole world. And it really did look like a fairy tale. And it's really amazing to hear them 20 years later talk about marriage. And even though it seems like they had the perfect marriage and the perfect fairy tale ending, they're still dealing with the same struggles that normal couples deal with that Trista goes into in this interview that she did with E. I also wanted to just update everyone about Trista and Ryan that they have two children, Maxwell, he's 15, and Blakesley, she's 13. And then they, they were just one of those couples that clearly were in it for the right reasons and quotes. They love saying that on the show. And despite all of the Hollywood glamour that surrounded their courtship and marriage, which is very rare because if you look at bachelor statistics, only four couples, four bachelorette couples are still together from 19 seasons and five bachelor couples are still together from 25 seasons. So, you know, that's actually a pretty good number though for being televised, but Trista and Ryan are a special case. And some of the things that Trista says in her interview are that she and Ryan, even after 20 years, are still learning how to communicate. She says, we constantly have to remind each other what we need in a relationship. Even after being married for 20 years, you can still learn. And I love how hum what a humble attitude she has toward marriage that can be, a lot of people can learn from this because sometimes you think, oh yeah, I know my, I know my partner, I know my husband, I know my wife in and out, but we can always learn how to better communicate with, with each other, especially with all of the differences that men and women mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by her comments in this uh, interview coming up on their 20 year anniversary because they were so relevant and poignant to the challenges of understanding when a man just needs his wife to give him some space. It's not about her. It's okay if he's processing, thinking through something. And you might be worried as a woman, like, what's wrong? What's he thinking? Why is he quiet? Why is he acting like that? Uh, it's an important thing, I think, to talk about. And I really appreciate her comments if you want to talk about them a little bit. Yes. Well, something that they have started asking each other is, do you want me to fix it or just comfort you? This mm. question... She said that she saw it on Instagram recently, but this is something that Dr. John Gray illustrates in his classic Mars and Venus series of books that he wrote many years ago, but it's so relevant and for couples now too. And the, the fact that men do tend to jump in to fix things while sometimes women just want to vent. They don't want their problems solved. They don't want to hear all the ways that they could have done it better or they should do it better. They don't want to have to do something else. They just want to vent and be, have the man listen and hear his, hear whatever feedback he might have. But sometimes they do want the man to help with solutions, but you have to be, women have to be clear on what they want. And same thing with men. She was talking about how Ryan is honest with her about whether he needs some space and and she has noticed that when Ryan is moody, she will back off 
and refrain from going through schedules or have having the the conversations the nitty-gritty conversations that are necessary for day, daily life especially with children mm-hmm. which is hard to say okay i need to tell him this right now because this is happening but she realizes that sometimes he needs his space and she's not going to have a productive conversation if she's not respecting that space. And this goes to a temptation in marriage that I wanted to talk about, that we feel that we need to fulfill our agenda on our our own timeline Mm, rather than patiently considering the right time to discuss it with the other person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for women, I don't think that's a challenge as much for men as it is for women Mm. Uh, that, you know, again, like we want to get through, we want to talk about it or we don't want to forget, you know, I need to tell myself because I can be that one, like, let me just talk about this. I know it's not the right time. Um, But you sometimes, you know, not always speaking what's on your mind is important. And I know this is something I really need to work on in the context of my marriage. I was actually thinking about this as we're kind of uh, heading toward Lent, that this is something to ponder. Um, in terms of Lent prep and deciding what we're going to work on this Lent. Yes, that's a great one, Tamara. You're right. It's a it's a struggle that women have, particularly and and especially people who are, women who are very detail oriented and who are very who are busy and who have who have intense schedules and need to get a lot done. That it's easy to prioritize the efficiency of something and getting it getting it what you need to say out rather than more of the love part of okay this is this is probably not the right time to to go through these things with my husband and especially if your husband is one of those men who doesn't particularly like going through bills or <laughs> going through. so i think but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean neglecting those things either. It means setting a time where it asking, okay, when would be a good time for us to go through the paperwork or organize this shelf that or organize the garage, whatever you need to do. Choosing a time that putting terrible it on the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That terrible drawer that's full of just all of those things such as junk mail and to do's and just everything you haven't dealt with, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So I think that just being mindful of that and setting time in the calendar, because then if you don't set time for it, it it will get slip under the rug or you'll just, the things will pile up and you'll never do it. So make setting a time together to do those things, but, but still respecting the, the, you know, and sometimes the disconnecting time for men is different than how a woman often is how from how a woman would disconnect. So it's important not to judge the other person based on how that person is disconnecting and just respect. Maybe he just needs to be on the computer for for an hour or whatever he he's doing or play a game. That maybe that is his time to to disconnect. So it, it is easy to think, okay, well that's mm-hmm. not how I disconnect. So he's actually not recuperating and he's not getting what he needs because he's not doing it my way. 
Right. And I do, you know, I do and I don't agree with that whole recuperating thing. I think everyone needs a moment to recuperate. But mm-hmm. I know I remember years ago people talk about, like, you know, just give your husband one hour when you get married, when he gets home to work. Uh, home from work to just like completely be by himself do what he needs to watch a show or whatever you know no I think that 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 in some ways we do need to understand to an extent you know some time to just like process and have a down moment yes we all need that Uh, but you know a man's job yes is to go out provide and protect and do all these things but it's for the sake of that home life and he should be on when he comes home you know yes take a moment but I don't like that mindset of um, too much of a disconnect, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I hear that, Tamarine. I think that's true. I think that it's important for men to be involved with the family, definitely. But if there is a time where the kids are asleep and it's just, there's, you know, there's some, he needs some time to just play with a friend or go to a friend's house or something like that, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But you're right, the first priority has to be the family. Let's talk about, for a moment, coming to that perspective of, for women, um, coming to that question, you want me to fix it or just come for you? For women, it's all about, I just need to be heard. Um, you know, I don't even know necessarily be comforted, but be heard. So it's one thing if you listen and you let her talk it out, but gentlemen, you need to respond too. I think that's mm. kind of the common thing. Some men are really good, like, yeah, I'll listen. And I'm trying not to fix it. But sometimes you also need to um, practice like echoing, you know, when you hear what she's talking about, help affirm what she's saying by saying, okay, so it sounds like this is what you're saying happened today or whatever it might be. You know, kind of repeat what she said so she feels like she's actually been heard in terms of what she said and what the challenge is. Not that you need to fix the challenge. Right, right. I think that's true. And also asking any questions because you're right. It's for a woman, you're not really feeling hurt if the guy, if your man, your, your husband is just sitting there and saying, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. You want him to be engaged. The way that you feel hurt is when he's engaged with what you're saying. So men try as best as you can to ask any questions, clarification questions or whatever it is so that you can really empathize with her and what she's going through and be really there for her. And so that she feels like, okay, wow, he's taking the time to spend with me. This is quality time. I'm not just talking at him. He cares about me. That's, I, I think that's how women will, will feel heard. And I think that's, it's so important for marriages because they, Tristan and Ryan were also talking about that do you, they, they got the question, do you feel pressure to stay together because you're one of the bachelor, bachelorette contestant people and you're one of the only ones still together? And, and they said, she said, no, because we love each other and we want to make our relationship work. So that's another thing about marriage is that choice of love. It's not just the, the romantic love that people often think about when you think about marriage. It's also that daily choice, that daily love is a daily decision that you are Mm. committing to each other and really taking those extra steps to learn what the other person needs to feel heard or to feel respected. Amen. 
Amen. That's you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's celebrating role matchmaker Christina Pineda. Hey, if you haven't already supported us this week in our pledge drive to raise the funds necessary to continue to operate here at Relevant Radio, you still can. Numbers one eight seven seven two nine one zero one two three. Thank you to everyone who supported us. We actually met our need of three million dollars. But hey, anything extra helps us to grow and not just to work on operating costs. Thank you to Christina in Oxnard, California, for her donation. Rosa. In Pico Rivera, California, thank you, Shin. And then Long Beach, California, hey, a lot of people from California stepping up. Wisconsin, we have two anonymous donors who have stepped forward in Wisconsin. Mary in San Diego, thank you so much for supporting us here at Relevant Radio. Joining me now is celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda. Uh, we're coming up on National Singles Awareness Day. That's St. Valentine's Day. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, women taking charge in relationships and some of those questions that come up, especially around this time, uh, many women wanting a date or wanting to be married and wishing, you know, the gentleman who's dragging his feet uh, would take some steps to move the relationship along or kickstart it. Uh, should women start proposing uh, in light of this kind of yearly reminder of being single? Mm, yes, that's, that's a question that some women might be thinking about because you want to take the take the reins in your hands and get things going with your with your relationship so you can start building the life that you want to. So if you're thinking about that, there's nothing wrong with thinking about that, but it's important to understand the male mind. And so my answer to that question is no, women should not start proposing. So, uh, maybe a good pop culture example of this would be to learn from the former, another bachelorette, Claire Crawley, who had proposed to her man, and this was during her season, she was the bachelorette, and Dale Moss was one of the contestants. This was after, this was in, okay, so this is the 16th season, and they got engaged in episode four of the series very, very quickly. And this, then a new bachelorette had to come on, shockingly. And Claire said that she knew early on that Dale was the guy for her. She, and this is from E! Entertainment, just E! News, by the way. She told the show's producers, I am so far in love with Dale. We have this connection where it feels like I've known him forever. It's that intangible chemistry that you just can't make up and you can't replace. And women, if you are listening to that, you might have felt that for men before. And it's a beautiful mm -hmm. feeling. But the connection isn't everything. And that is, it's so hard. It's so hard because you can connect with a lot of people who are not actually meant to be your future husband or wife. So it's important to separate that connection from someone who mm -hmm. is a potential candidate for your future husband which there's a lot more that goes into the candidate for the future husband than just the connection element of it. Unfortunately, Claire and Dale broke up, I think it was two months after this proposal, and I think there were lifestyle, lifestyle, they, they claimed that it was because of lifestyle differences. I'm not really sure what that, that means, but it, it just shows that this also goes into what we were talking about with Dr. John Gray and men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And this whole idea of even women asking men out 
is a problem. And I don't recommend women to do that. It's not proposing, mm -hmm. of course, but it is still right. in line with women taking these active reins in driving the relationship forward when that's actually something that men need in order to stay active in pursuit. If women do these things, men get passive and they then the pursuit stops. Even if he's been pursuing you before, he needs to be actively mm -hmm. pursuing. If mm -hmm. a woman takes a driver's seat, it's not going to work. I love it. Always the candid advice and tips um, that people aren't willing to always discuss. You know, you're a celebrity and world matchmaker, Christina. And I think that's part of what's so riveting about the work that you do is you have people, you know, secular, religious, from all walks of life, religious perspectives coming to you. But you still understand that chemistry that only occurs out of respect and love for who women are and who men are and how we relate to one another. Yes. Yes. I, I thank you for the compliments, <laughs> but, but it's, it's true. Men or women are very, very different. And what I tell women is the bottom, whatever religion you are, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is a man will pursue you if he's interested. I remember when I was single, this older lady at church, I loved her. She was wonderful, but she would always say to me, you want a man who loves you more than you love him. And I hated hearing that. It was like nails in a chalkboard for me. I don't want to listen to that. That's so annoying. I want to be really in love with a man. And, but I think, okay, that's it. I don't, I don't fully agree with that statement, but there is some truth to it in the sense that you need, as a woman, you need to be able to and okay with giving up control of the outcome of the relationship. So that is, and also is in a sense of loving God more than you love the man, of no, trusting God that if this is the right man for you, he will step up to the plate and pursue you. If you need to manipulate the relationship in any way, he's not the right man for you. He, a man will feel a calling in his heart for you, and I've seen it again and again happen. It, this actually happens. So women don't need to worry about manipulating circumstances in order to be with a man or competing with other women like they do on The Bachelor. Uh, you need to know that when you let go of that control and trust, then the right man will pursue you. And in, in a sense, he will love you more than you love him in that, in just in that way. But you'll still love him and be attracted to him. It's not, we're not completely eschewing that from the courtship process. But I just thought that was important to get across to Marie. Yes, absolutely. And I want to recommend the book you mentioned earlier that I think is very helpful reading. I've never actually read the full thing, only ever excerpts. I need to pick it up one of these days. But uh, women from are from Mars, or sorry, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Highly recommend that book. And if you want to get in touch or check out more of the work of celebrity and royal matchmaker Christina Pineda, 
matchmakersinthecity.com is where you can find her. I post a link on social media as well as tagging her on social media. Uh, Instagram, she's very active there and you can see pictures of her new baby. Congratulations again, Christina. It's always fun to hear and see a little bit about your marriage and your family as you just welcomed your second baby as well, which has been really fun because you and I have now had both of our first two children within just a couple of months of each other. So it's been neat to see as you're navigating all of you know this new life in terms of the realm of celebrity and royal matchmaking now within your own home with having children. So check her out on Instagram. I've tagged her. You can follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And thank you again for supporting us here at Relevant Radio. It's not too late to still donate. 1-877-291-0123 is that number. RelevantRadio.com and everything you donate through this hour is actually 100% matched. You donate a dollar, someone else will give a dollar. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Okay, we've got to share good movie recommendations. I was just given a movie recommendation from my producer, Jim, Christopher Robin uh, from Disney. He says it's an incredible film and he loves it. So family-friendly fun for the weekend. There's your tip for a movie. Uh, Okay, so, so much to talk about right now. Before we dive into the whole transgender craze and this man who says he's a woman forcing women in locker rooms uh, at swim matches to basically be icons of porn, we're going to talk about that because basically these businesses and schools and the government are forcing women to be porn stars in a certain respect. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But today is the feast day of St. Scholastica. And one reason why she stands out to me has always been because of her faith and a really neat story. So fun Catholic trivia fact, St. Scholastica is the sister of St. Gregory the Great, also known as St. Gregory of Nicaea. And according to St. Gregory the Great in his book, The Dialogue, um, these brother and sister, this brother and sister actually spent the very last day of... St. Scholastica's life together. They both were founders of a great, great work. And um, it's fascinating to see what they did. And sorry, um, St. Scholastica. Yeah, um, sorry. St. Scholastica is the sister of St. Benedict. Sorry, St. Gregory the Great talked about uh, St. Scholastica spending her last living day on earth with St. Benedict, her brother. Um, St. Scholastica sensed that her death was imminent. And so she'd begged her brother, St. Benedict, to stay with her um, that last night, that day after they had been spending time together. And because St. Benedict had founded, you know, his order and she had been working on her order of nuns, um, you know, he he said he couldn't because it went against the rule of life that he had. Well, she'd been praying that God would make it so that they could spend this last time together as she expected that she was going to die. And as he refused her request to stay the night, uh, a massive thunderstorm broke out, preventing St. Benedict, her brother, and all the fellow monks from returning to the abbey, and they had to stay uh, there and remain at at um, the location where St. Scholastica was as a nun. And they spent their last day of her life and that evening together. And I've always admired her commitment to understanding, you know, I can make that prayer. If there's something I so deeply desire, um, I know that the Lord um, will answer my prayer. In this instant, he answered the prayer as she requested uh, that he actually, her brother would spend that last night with her. And so always that reminder to be 
faithful uh, to what God is calling us to in our lives and that God will intervene even in those simple things that we might have on our heart and mind to desire. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us here at Relevant Radio. If you have already donated, thank you. If you can donate and support the work to grow what we're doing, the number's what? 877-291-0123. Uh, we still can continue to grow what we do and not just meet our basic needs at Relevant Radio. If you can support us, here today and every dollar you donate is matched. Okay, let's talk about a news story. So if you don't know anything about what's been going on with so-called Leah Thomas, known as Will Thomas, who competed for three years at the University of Pennsylvania as a male swimmer and then was a terrible swimmer, didn't really compete at a very high level. He then decided to insist he was transgender say that he was a woman and start competing in the NCAA or NCAA uh, competitions as a swimmer. And he was in the locker room uh, of uh, these women's locker rooms. He competed across the nation against other universities. Well, 12-time All-American and five-time SEC champion Riley Gaines has come out speaking up against it. She's 22 years old, and she has is urging the National Collegiate Athletic Association to make separate locker rooms, at the very least, for if they're going to allow people who identify as transgender to compete. And here's why. Will Thomas... No, who calls himself Leah Thomas, literally exposed himself before he ever went through any physical manipulation of his body and mutilation. Uh, when he was only taking cross-sex hormones, he exposed himself to Riley Gaines in the locker room. And she shared this statement that I think is very important. She said, we were not forewarned beforehand that we would be sharing a locker room with Leah. We did not give our consent. They did not ask for our consent. But in the locker room, we were turned... We turned around and there was a 6'4 biological man dropping his pants and watching us undress and we were exposed to male genitalia. Can I just be really clear for a moment? This is a university, multiple universities, the NCAA, um, the government, and all businesses where this is occurring, they're forcing women, specifically female athletes, and some of whom are minors, um, forcing athletes to be porn icons to be the subject of a man who wants to say he's a woman, stare at them as they undress and then forcing them to be present as he then undresses in a very confined um, space that seems even more confined given that a man's there in their dressing room. I mean, you're giving him permission to enter that dressing room, uh, a very private place in a person's life. I don't understand how this is okay and why the government is okay with forcing women, specifically female athletes and some minors, to be icons of porn or forced to see porn. Um, I know that when I've been in the, the locker rooms of even gyms and women of my so, same biological sex like to undress in front of me, I think, oh, good grief. I'm not a fan of that. That's a whole other conversation to have another day. I remember Trent Horn. I used to have that a lot in my old show, Hearts and Minds. Uh, many perspectives weighing in on that. But I think it's important because Riley Gaines attended President Biden's State of the Union address this weekend. Um, she was invited by Representative Lisa McLean as a guest because she is fighting against this transgender agenda that President Biden is forcing on women and basically forcing women into pornography to be the object of and the viewers of 
pornography. And it's not right, not to mention that there's an unfair advantage for every man, biological male, who's competing in women's sports. Bottom line, height, muscle mass, heart, lung size, all of this. And the University of Pennsylvania uh, has threatened and terrified women who have been on the sports team, on the the swim team with him um, from actually speaking up and sharing the challenges they're experiencing. In fact, Riley Gaines said that people are terrified, especially speaking from her experience of talking to other NCAA swimmers specifically. So-called Lady Thomas teammates even. She said they are told that their school has made their stance for them. They're told if they feel uncomfortable see male genteel in the locker room, they should seek counseling resources. They're told, women, female athletes, that they are told they will never get into grad school if they speak out. So basically, the University of Pennsylvania is forcing women to be, the again, the objects of pornographic context and situation. They're forcing them to basically look at porn, and they're forcing them to be afraid of speaking out, claiming that they will not make it into grad school. This is absolutely inappropriate. But you know what? The transgender movement is imploding on itself, and it has been since day one, and that's the good news. And that's why we talk about it here on Trinity, because we talk about the truth of what's happening. No one ends up happy who is clinging to a transgender identity or agenda or supporting that agenda. It's delusional. Within time, every person who has sought out a transgender transition still seeks help to transition out or find happiness, and many people are speaking out. Here's an interesting story for you. The transgender medical worker has spoken out recently. It's a really fascinating expose. Uh, Jamie Reed is a former case manager for the Missouri Pediatric Transgender Clinic. It's a newer clinic. She worked there for four years starting in 2018 before she left this past fall. Um, And she is now a whistleblower, essentially, against transgender medicine. Well, what's interesting is that she's a self-proclaimed leftist, uh, non-binary, and she's married to a woman who identifies as a transgender man. And in her expose for the free press, she shares, she's 42 years old, um, about her experience working at this basically a pediatric gender clinic. And it's really interesting to hear what she says, because prior to this, she spent most of her professional life counseling vulnerable populations, children, foster care system, um, sexual minorities, and the poor. Um, But basically, in 2018, when she became the case manager at the Washington University Transgender Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, um, she saw insane things happened that completely changed her mindset with regard to uh, transitioning both through chemical transitions, um, through uh, physical castration and mutilation of the bodies. While she was there, she would actually be the person who had oversight over patient intake. And she said around a thousand distressed young people came through their doors. So the majority of them received hormone prescriptions uh, that have life-altering consequences, including sterility. Now, in November, she left, but here's some of what she's sharing. She's speaking out. She was told not to share her experience, not to share her objections. Now, up, she shares how up until 2015 that most people identifying as transgender were boys, and they were the ones coming to these pediatric gender clinics. They were the pediatric gender cases. 
But now we've seen since after 2015, there's rapid gender onset, gender dysphoria occurring for girls with no previous history of gender uh, distress or anything such as this. She knows she knows there's a gender graze occurring right now. Said when she first started back in the day, there were probably about 10 calls a month that she would receive having to do with this gender transition. She said now there are about 50 50 calls a month and 70% of them are girls. And usually they're clusters of girls coming from the same high school who are wanting to transition. And she said, what's interesting, and we've talked about this a lot with our ther- expert therapists here on Trending, should most of these girls, though, have comorbidities, which means a pre-existing condition such as depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, or even obesity that were undiagnosed or were diagnosed and not being treated. Actually, many even have autism and are on some some level of the autism spectrum. In fact, there was a report just last year from a British pediatric transgender center that actually emphasized that a third of their patients there in Britain were on the autism spectrum, that they're the ones are, who are transgender and looking at transitioning. Again, she said she saw, quote, clusters of girls streaming into our services who looked as if their gender issue might be a manifestation of, gen- of social contagion. So she's saying this is not legitimate. And one of her concerns is that these girls don't know the impact this is going to have on their bodies. They don't understand the consequences if they're even told what some of them will be. They know that testosterone will, for example, drop their voice, help them sprout beards, redistribute fat, um, even change some of their sexual interests because of cross-sex hormones, even increase boldness in expression, mood changes. But what the girls don't understand, what this woman from the gender clinic said, is that many encounters she had with patients made it abundantly clear how unaware and how little these girls understood about the impact of the so-called gender transition through so-called gender therapies, through so-called just simple therapies such as taking cross-sex hormones or bodily castration. Here's a story of one boy who came into our clinic. He was taking a medication that's often used to uh, treat cancer, okay, prostate cancer. It's, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, I probably will botch it. It's bicalotamide, however you say it. He was taking that specific prescription and that medication. Well, the center was giving it to this boy for a gender transition, not to treat a deadly disease. And it blocks puberty. It blocks puberty from occurring or continuing. He actually ended up being treated for severe liver toxicity. And his parent contacted the gender clinic and she interacted with this parent who said, you're lucky that I'm not in my family or not a family that sues. That's how deadly and harmful these cross-sex chemicals are. And many young people go through this without talking to or consenting with family members about the harm of the different chemicals they're putting into their bodies. And so when we're talking about these whistleblowers who are a part of the LGBTQ movement, who are living perhaps even an LGBTQ lifestyle, we need to be careful not to villainize them because many of them have found themselves there through the a true discrimination of a pro-transgender, pro-transition society who actually agree with us that this is bodily mutilation, that this is torture of children, this is child abuse. 
And I really appreciate this expose. We'll post the link on social media because you really do need to read it and understand what's happening in these gender transition clinics, how little these young people know, and how across the nation our president, so-called Catholic President Biden, is pushing for this gender transition for children who are not capable of consenting to what is happening. I and mean, we're talking about permanent sterilization. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Uh, coming up is Devin Schatt from the Fathers of St. Joseph. And I'm excited to talk to him about Our Lady, especially as we come into celebrating the feast day of Our Lady of Lords tomorrow. That's February 11th. And I want to talk about taking Mary into our homes. In light of this miraculous healing of St. Bernadette and Our Lady of Lords and the devotion and the pilgrimages that so many people take, let's talk to Devin about how we can ponder on our own, bringing Our Lady into our own homes. Devin, welcome back to Trending. Hey, Kim Marie, thanks for having me on. Now, before we talk about Our Lady, let's just talk briefly about a Lenten devotion that you have available right now. In fact, we'd love to give you a copy today. It's Jesus's Way, and we're also offering 20% off, but we'll post the link on social media in just a few minutes here as well about the book. And if you enter our giveaway, um, we'll be posting information about that. Just follow me on social media where you can also find Devin. Uh, You can get a free copy, Uh, but tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, so the book was born out of my own personal desire to actually make Lent good, because <laughs> so many Lents I really struggled and failed with what I thought was the right way to live Lent, which was giving up something. But in the process, I realized I was kind of missing the mark, and really I came to believe and recognize that what Lent is all about is to not only to know Christ, but to become another Christ, so that we can say with St. Paul, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I wrote Jesus's way as a a Lenten devotional, yes, but it's a seven-stage journey to follow Jesus all the way from his baptism to the last moments on the cross. And each, each stage, you select spiritual practices that compile over the course of 46 days, because that's the total number of days of Lent, and each day you have a reflection to read. So what you're doing is, is you're actually trying to live the missionary journey of Jesus and take on... Um, basically devotions, take on sacrifices, things like that, that apply to each stage. And like one priest said early on when I had my conversion or surrender my life to Jesus Christ, he said, this Lent, don't just give up something. Do something that you will do for the rest of your life. And that really empowered me. And so that's what Jesus' way is all about, is helping to equip people to really become like Christ by taking on things, devotions, Um, maybe even a sacrificial way of life that they can continue well beyond Lent and it will give them freedom and joy. So that's it. Fantastic. So you can get your copy today. We're posting a link on social media to where this is available from stewardshipmission.com. And we'll post a link to that, which is the way. And you're offering a discount. Just apply uh, the code LENT2023. That's LENT2023. We'll post a link in the show notes as well as on social media to that. And we're giving away a free copy. So watch my Instagram this evening as I will be posting a link on how you can win your free copy of this Lenten companion. So be sure to be preparing for Lent as we make our way there. Don't just fall into Lent. Really prepare and have a plan. Uh, Devin, let's talk about Our Lady and taking Our Lady into our homes in light of her feast day tomorrow of Our Lady of Lords, uh, who appeared 
dozens of times to St. Bernadette. We saw that led to her healing of entering into the healing waters of Lourdes. Uh, millions of people have made pilgrimages to Lourdes. In fact, some of my family members are going later this year um, to the healing waters of our Lord, praying for Our Lady's intercession. Uh, how does Mary stay close to us by bringing her into our home and into our daily life. I know this has been important for me and my family, and I'd like to discuss how this has been fundamental for you as well. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the Blessed Mother is my favorite. <laughs> you know, she's amazing. Um, and it was, for me, it was very hard to be devoted to her because I had some relational authority kind of issues and wounds as I was growing up, and especially the female kind of area there. And so to to give my life in a sense, or to turn my life over to this beautiful, holy mother was extremely difficult for me. I just, I was like, just Jesus, not Mary, right? But what I found, you know, like we're talking about bringing Mary into our home. And I, you know, I, I'm thinking you're, you're probably referencing John nineteen twenty seven at the foot of the cross when Jesus said, behold your son. And from that hour, he took her into his home. And, and actually the translation is into his own like into his own soul, like kind of like St. Ambrose. I think he said, like, you know, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my favorite St. St. Ambrose actually prayed, Mary, live in my soul that I may magnify the Lord, you know, live in my spirit that I might rejoice in God, my favorite. So this was like, for St. Ambrose, it's like this deep communion. For St. John, it's this deep communion with the Holy Mother. And I think really what we can do is we can look at, Remember when Mary um, trekked to Zachariah's house, when Elizabeth was, when Mary was told that Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, I think that if we just like were to stay there just for a little bit, we could see the benefits of having Mary come into our home. Because when Mary showed up at Zachariah's house and her greeting reached Elizabeth's ears, the first thing is, is that Elizabeth, the babe in her womb, leapt for joy. And so she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we know when Zechariah, when it was time for after John was born, Zechariah, he was previously dumb. He could not speak. And then now he speaks. And then you've got John who's sanctified in the womb. He's, he's no man is greater than John. And so you've got all these benefits. There's fruitfulness. There's life. There's holiness because John is sanctified. Elizabeth is spirit filled. You know, there's, you know, and then obviously John or Zechariah is speaking as a mouthpiece of God. So you just could sit there and go, man, look at all these benefits that came to Zechariah's house just because Mary was brought into their home. And I, I don't mm -hmm. know about you, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to have that holiness that John had, the Baptist had. I want to have that life and that fruitfulness that Elizabeth had, you know, and I want those yes. things to be my home. And I found that receiving her into my own, into my soul, because that's what heaven is like. It's a communion of saints in union with God. Man, she's powerful. Amen. Amen. I turn to her uh, so often, I think, in having icons of her in my home. If anything, I have too many, and I'm trying to make sure that it's really like one <laughs> primary focus in each like kind of room or area of the house. And I found this even more important as a mother um, now, especially in those moments that are so challenging. And I just look at, okay, what did Our Lady do? And so many of the icons 
all she's doing in that moment is just holding and embracing Jesus. And I'm told that's what I need to do with my child mm-hmm. right now as I work through this moment with her. Or that's what I need to do, um, whether it be embracing my child or whether it's just a challenging moment in the day. Embrace Christ. This is what Our Lady did. Mm-hmm. And I really believe this is why they were some of the last words of Jesus on the cross is he says, take her. And John took her into his home, as we know. The beloved apostle took her into his home. And so having Our Lady as a focal point, you know, put that beautiful icon of Our Lady up. You know, have that beautiful statue. Have a statue of Our Lady, a beautiful white porcelain statue of Our Lady um, holding the child Jesus right here next to my computer right now. I have a beautiful icon in my living room. It's such a central part for me. And I keep thinking even about the story this week of the earthquakes that have demolished uh, parts of Turkey in the Middle East. And there's a story that came out that the cathedral in Turkey that was demolished by the earthquake, that one thing stood, and that was the statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And it was a reminder for me of how Our Lady... When we take her into our home, when we embrace her, when we take that faithful, um, make that faithful act of choosing to live as she lived, to honor and respect her, asking her intercession, that she truly does intervene for us and she remains close to us, mm-hmm. keeping us faithful to mm-hmm. her son. Yeah, that is that is beautiful. Uh, preach it. But I, I think one thing you said that's very powerful is you were talking about how you look at her, you know, in this icon. And you see her holding Jesus. But what I think is so powerful behind that is that, I don't know if you've made this connection, you probably have because you're a super deep thinker, but you, by looking to her, then become an icon to your child. And so that's what every mother does. Whoever sees one such child in my name, Jesus says, not only receives the child, but receives me. And not only receives me, but receives God the Father. And, And so like, yeah, you're you're an icon like the Blessed Virgin Mary. You receive your child. And this is what's so beautiful about motherhood is that when a mother receives her child as Christ, that child is far more likely to receive Christ. And mm. I think that's a gift. That's a tender gift of maternal authority that mothers have. They have this innate ability to transmit this nurturing, uh, compassionate, love of Jesus that we men, man, we're so abrasive, we're so hairy, we're so smelly. You know, we just we just mm-hmm. have that trouble transmitting that love. But you and my wife and so many other beautiful women in this world are actually icons of the Blessed Mother, icons of God and our children. That's that's what holds them in a deep connection of that compassionate God. Mm. It's the theology of Our Lady to understand how relevant it is to our day-to-day lives. Um, how yeah. you know, people talk about the empowerment of the women's movement. You know, the women's feminist movement today is so opposed to who Our Lady is and her virginity and her docility and her silence, her humility uh, in her motherhood. And these are things we need to re-embrace as a culture. I always think of the work of St. Edith Stein who really focused on uh, the gift of femininity, who women are and who we're called to be. And she talks about how as women we need to teach our children about our lady that it's transformative for young girls to see that and so i really appreciate that example uh, that you just shared of how we can as women yeah and and i i i think that you know you look at mary in the upper room when the apostles are praying after christ's resurrection they're waiting for the promise of the father she is there what's going on God is renewing, the Holy Spirit's renewing his wedding vows 
with the Blessed Mother to give more children to God. Amen. That's Devin Schatz, founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph, posting a link on social media to his book, A Lenten Companion, Jesus' Way, 20% code off, a discount. Find the information about that at relevantradio.com forward slash trending, where you can subscribe to the podcast and see the episode notes. Thank you for supporting us here at Relevant Radio. Not too late to donate still, relevantradio.com.